everybody. Welcome to this wild edition of Random Trek Review, the evil episode number 13. This is, of course, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name's Andrew. I'll be joined by my good buddy, Matt. Oh, oh, wait. Oh, oh God, Matt. Why do you have a giant donkey tail today? That's a good question. I, I must have uh, de-evolved into a, pre, a pr- more primitive form of life. It sure seems like it, and that must mean we are watching Genesis, Next Generation, uh, late season, late uh, in the series episode of Next Generation, Genesis. So, um, let me have it. How did I make out last week when I came up with my little recall score? Um, you did pretty well. Uh, you... You could remember what each crew member turned into, which is pretty good. Um, I guess really the only things that you didn't quite get, you didn't really uh, know the sort of the setup, like the the weapons testing. Mm -hmm. And then I think you also said that it was Captain Picard and Dr. Crusher that went off, but it's actually Picard and Data. Right, which makes more sense now if you think about it too, because Data's not affected. Yeah. So, uh, other than that, though, you you're pretty much spot on. I mean, you know, the crew devolved. You got all the the animals with their correct crew crew members. So, um, I'm going to give you a rating of uh, four out of five misguided torpedoes. All right. That is an eighty percent for me. Yeah. No, pretty good. Pretty good, uh, pretty good recall. All right, well, let's take a look at this. This is late, uh, late in the series. It's episode 19 of season seven. It's from March 21st, 1994. Not a ton of guest stars this time. You've got Patty Yakusuta as Nurse Ogawa and Dwight Schultz as Barclay. Um, I think maybe part of the reason why I thought that it was a Gates McFadden, um, Patrick Stewart team up was because Gates McFadden directed this episode. So um, Gates was directing, she was the first female uh, cast member to direct an episode. Fun yes. Fact there. Yes, that's very true. Yes. And it was written by uh, Brandon Braga. So this week uh, begins in sickbay where Commander Riker is having some spines removed from his back because he was macking out with some girl in the Arboretum and rolled on top of them. At the same time, Dr. Crusher is tre- treating Lieutenant Barclay for what could only be considered as hypochondria. Data's cat Spot is pregnant and Nurse Ogawa is too. How could all of these storylines be connected, you ask? Well, let's find out. We flash back to the bridge where Worf is anxious to try one of his many new weapon systems on some torpedoes at a nearby asteroid. When one misses, Captain Picard and Data decide that they should probably go retrieve it to ensure that no harm comes of anybody that might be flying around the system. While they're away, though, things start to turn strange. Deanna seems to be cold all the time. Worf is becoming more ravenous and hungry and just not really himself. Riker is losing his train of thought a lot as well. This continues for some time before a convenient commercial break shows Data and Picard finding the ship adrift and not at the rendezvous coordinates they originally planned on. They enter the ship and they find it in various states of disrepair. It seems that the crew is de-evolving. Deanna is now some sort of waterborne amphibian, Riker a caveman, and most concerning, Worf now seems to be some sort of murderous monster hell-bent on rage. It's a race to cure the illness before Picard devolves himself, and Data's left to solve the problem himself. They discover Data's cat has given birth to those kittens we mentioned earlier, and then abruptly turned into an agona. This sparks the idea that maybe the fluid in the amniotic stack could contain antibodies that could be used to cure the disease. 
And because Data was conveniently there for Nurse Agawa announced her pregnancy, well, hey, maybe her unborn child would have the same fluids to save the day. And then they do. <laughs> take some overall impressions of this episode. I feel like this is a classic. I think most people remember at least aspects of this one or uh, the episode as a whole. Uh, what's your overall impression? Don't give too many spoilers away. Don't tell us too, too much. But what was your overall impression? Uh, I love this episode. Um, I'm not a huge fan of, say, horror movies like I know you are, but I do enjoy a good horror flick once in a while. And like this episode is like Star Trek horror at its best. So, um, yeah, I really like this episode. It, it was, when it, when it first came out, I was pretty young and it scared the hell out of me in, in various ways. But, uh, now that I, you know, when I go back and watch it now, I just, uh, yeah, when I see this one come up, it's like, yes, Genesis. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I'm a big horror movie fan. So to kind of see it in Star Trek is kind of a nice, uh, a nice little venture from what you typically see for sci-fi and things like that. Um, I think there's some a couple of flaws, um, and obviously they had to kind of take some liberties in order to make this work. But overall, you could tell that they were getting near the end of the line, and I think that they thought, you know what, we might as well go for it, right? Like this is kind of the time to to go a bit out there, a bit crazy with some of the ideas that were coming through the writers' room. Yeah, this. Like, this is really the first time that we had sort of a horror film feel to, a, like, a scary episode. Like, they've done a lot of kind of, like, psychological ones, yeah. like Schisms and Night Terrors, where it's kind of, like... Paranoid thriller. Yeah, there's, like, creepy things happening, but it's not, like, over, like, people in crazy makeup jumping up and... Spooking you. Spooking you out, yeah. Yeah. Like, this, this is, and, you know, they, they kind of did this a few other times over the course of Star Trek after, so... Yeah, and we can talk about that a little bit later in terms of where this kind of ranks in terms of horror episodes. I kind of feel like they don't do it maybe nearly enough, um, but we can talk about that in the future. Um, the background stuff, there's not really a ton of stuff here. Obviously, the makeup and a lot of the uh, production that went into it was really well done, but I think the biggest piece of production that came out of this was just the fact that this was Gates McFadden's directorial debut, um, and she was the first female cast member to do it. Of course, uh, Roxanne Dawson would come along later in Voyager and go on to become like a pretty, um, a pretty successful director in her own right. Um, yes. What do you have to say about that? Um, well, it's kind of cool. Like uh, there, there are quite a few TNG cast members that directed episodes. Um, Jonathan Frakes is obviously the one that everyone thinks of because he did a ton. Um, but LeVar Burton became fairly prolific like after TNG like he did quite a few Voyager and I think he did a few Enterprise episodes um, and Michael Dorn even got into it uh, yeah. I think he did he I think he actually didn't start till he was on Deep Space Nine but he did eventually direct episodes so. Patrick Stewart yeah Patrick Stewart I think he did what two yeah he did a couple yeah so it's it's kind of cool that they you know encourage their cast members to you know get behind the camera as opposed to in front of it yeah, that's true. I feel like um, didn't uh, I feel like there were some other Voyager cast members that did it too. Robert Duncan McNeil did. Yep. Tim Russ. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, there's lots of people. Um, I think that that's kind of one of the coolest things about Star Trek is that I think they even have like a little program that they will send you to if you're interested in doing it, which yeah. I think is interesting. And we didn't even mention the movies, right? I mean, Leonard Nimoy was not a terrible director in his own right. I mean, Jack oh. was terrible, but... <laughs> <laughs> Nimoy was actually quite good. Shatner, to say Shatner was terrible, it's, 
A bit of a, I think I would say that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, well, even his own admission, right? Yeah. Well, Jonathan Frakes directed First Contact, which is... And Insurrection. Uh, yes. So, I mean... There you go. Yeah. 50-50. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, batting, yeah, batting 500. Yeah, which is not terrible. Yeah, well, I, I mean, one thing I noticed, um, I, I mean, I don't know if you want to tackle this now, but uh, this is a very, seems to be a very polarizing episode amongst fans. Uh, a lot, of, Some people love it and some people hate it, but there doesn't really seem to be much in between from what I... And I, I guess it makes sense, right? If you can, If you can take that there's a virus that devolves you into a random animal, not necessarily your... Uh, you know, like for humans to go to proto-humans or what have you, but to go back to like a specific kind of creature from your planet's genetic genetic history and you can just accept that that will happen on one day and then it can be reversed in one day, then you'll have a great time with this. If you're looking for straight sci-fi and you show up to here, I feel like you might be a little bit, uh, a little bit kind of turned off with. So I feel like it's a 50-50. If you're Star Trek sci-fi all the way through, then you're probably not going to like it. If you don't mind a little bit of X-Files in your Star Trek, then you'd probably be down for it. Yeah. It, I, when, like, when you go on to like IMDb and you read like reviews for it, a lot of the people who give it like one or zero, they go off on the problems with the science, right? They right. get, you know, and okay, f- fair enough. If you have a scientific background and you just can't accept that, then you're obviously going to be spending the entire episode being like, no, that's not right. No, that's not right. What right. are they doing? Whereas if you're... You know, if you're a little more laid-back Star Trek fan and you don't mind a little bit of uh, goofiness or, or inaccuracy as far as the science goes, you're, you know, you're probably going to enjoy it. So in those people's defense, I suppose, is that like Star Trek is supposed to be science fiction. So it's supposed to be science, but then making a story around it. It's not science fantasy like Star Wars and other things like that. And so when you have a cat that turns into an iguana and you have somebody who's like a biologist or an evolutionist... And they look at that, they probably can connect that, like, that wouldn't happen. And I know that early on, in early Star Trek, and especially early TNG, they had PhD people working on the set that said, no, no, this is the physics, this is how it worked theoretically, this is how the biology would work theoretically for the time. And I feel like for this episode, like, those guys were on lunch break, you know? Like, you guys can just take this week off, we're just going to do whatever and make a fun episode. And if you can't accept it, then yeah, you're definitely going to be giving that one like a one or a zero stars. All right, Matt, let's jump into the plot here. We have maybe the most convenient pieced together pre, pre-teaser, let's call it, um, that we've had in a while. You've got Riker, Data, uh, Dr. Crusher. You've got Spot. You've got Nurse Ogawa. You've got all these people together, Barclay. And within the course of about five minutes, let's say, they pretty much piece together the whole, all of the main things, right? So Spot is pregnant. Barclay's got hypochondria, and he's suffering from, I think what they say is the Ordillian flu. Uh, then Riker's got spikes in the back, and Ogawa's pregnant as well. And they kind of announced that as a kind of a big deal. Is this too convenient? Sickbay was really busy that day. Um... I mean, I almost feel like this could be like a typical day in sickbay on a starship. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't, what do you mean by convenient? Well, just the fact that the we, this is going to be the end payoff, right? Is that the cat giving birth to the kittens 
is going to tip off data that it is actually mm-hmm. like uh, uh you know or maybe maybe they don't even normally do that much thinking when they kind of come up with these answers to problems that they have um i just maybe. feel like when you watch it kind of once or twice it tips off a lot of pieces here or do you think this is good foreshadowing well i think it tips off a few things but i mean it, it gives them sort of credibility at the end of the episode when they come up when data comes up with that solution i mean it's not right. like this is all kind of out of left field it's, it's all been set up right from okay. the beginning so. yeah all right um and you get of course uh riker the ladies man he was on a date in the arboretum he rolled over the spikes which i like um and also you kind of get an interesting here things here with barclay because um he's kind of doing the web md thing right yep where That's exactly what he's um, doing and and this is years and years before this is ever a thing um, so this actually has a name. It's called cyberchondria. Chondria coming from like hypochondriacs, which are people who are afraid of being ill all the time. Yep. And then cyberchondria is when you get like a headache, you Google it, and all of a sudden you've got brain cancer or you've got an aneurysm or whatever the case may be. And I thought this was really ahead of its time. The fact that uh, the doctor actually tells him to stop looking into the medical database because he's starting to think he has all of these obscure and crazy diseases um which i thought was really good did you pick up on that did you think that was interesting oh uh, yeah definitely um even like back in the day before webmd even existed like you you look at this and it's like wow this guy's like really going to extreme lengths to think that he's like really sick when he probably is just got a cough Right, yeah, they say that it's just kind of the flu. Um, I think that it's kind of an interesting thing, too, because it, he's almost the first, um, like, stress case. Like, he's the only person in Starfleet that actually shows anxious tendencies before you get to, like, Tilly now is somebody that they say is, like, wow, look at this character. But Barclay is doing this, like, you know, years and years beforehand, um, but being super anxious and being super worried about being sick all the time and stuff like that. I thought it was really good. Yeah, Barkley was a very interesting character in that he was sort of, um, he, he like broke the mold of, uh, you know, Star Trek characters because they're all sort of in their own way, like confident and graceful. And, and he was like total opposite. He was like bumbling right. guy who couldn't, you know, had a hard time interacting, even just interacting with people in sort of normal situations. Yeah, no, I, I think that it's a really good character. I think it's an important character, too, because it's so different from everybody that you see in Starfleet, right? Yeah. Everybody you see in Starfleet is tough as nails, and they all, they're willing to die for the cause and stuff like that. But Barclay is kind of the first person that's probably more like your average Joe in the sense of, like, kind of being more of uh, anxious about things, worried about things, and kind of more maybe for, like, our time, especially with those things being such on the rise, right? Yep, it's true. All right, well, let's jump into uh, Act 1, I suppose, where Worf is trying out these new weapons, the new guidance system, the new phasers, everything like that. How often are they updating these things? Like, it seems like whenever they need kind of a nice little plot convenience, they update the weapon system, or they tweak it, or they're working on something. Um, Is this just kind of something that we chew on because it's kind of fun and it's Worf? Well, they needed Worf to get upset about something not working and they also needed a reason for Picard and Data to just sort of disappear for, you know, what was it, like two or three days or two something? Two three days, yeah. Yeah, so, well, I mean, it makes, I mean, it kind of makes sense. I feel like Worf's the kind of guy who's very diligent in his duties and I'm sure if he could, you know, devise some new 
weapon systems, I'm sure that he would, uh, you know, be happy to spend time doing that. So, yeah, that's true, I suppose. I guess um, Picard going is a little bit... That makes no sense. No sense, no. Like, they always <laughs> talk about that being... Well, why are they sending two senior officers to go retrieve a torpedo? Like, couldn't they just be like... Okay, you two guys who have, have no importance to the crew whatsoever, can you fly a shuttle? Yes? Okay, okay you two you go, go find yeah. this torpedo. We'll, we'll wait for you. Yeah, they could have easily just made it like a meeting. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and they've done that in the past, right, where uh, Picard has had to leave to like do speak at a conference or to do what have you, but yeah. Um, I kind of like it. I do like also the idea that uh, they talk about the Enterprise being too large to go through the asteroid field. Kind of had like a little bit of the Empire Strikes Back tinge to it, you know? Too big, not maneuverable <laughs> enough. So I did kind of like that. Why didn't they just blast their way through the asteroids? Like, well, Star Destroyers. <laughs> <laughs> they could have tried that, I suppose. But they were, the new weapon system didn't really work. So, That's true. Um, <laughs> so we jump over to um, kind of like a little split thing in the uh, the second act where we go to engineering and they're uh, you know Barclay and LaForge kind of have a little thing in the Jeffries tube and that's split with uh, back to sick bay and this is basically um, can we talk of, I guess can we say like writing Crusher out of it when she gets sprayed with the venom mm, yes and so I guess this was kind of purposely done because she was directing the episode they didn't really want her in a lot of scenes so early on they said well you know what we'll just get you out of it and then that we can focus on being the director. And so they filmed her scenes like relatively early, I suppose. And then she's out. And I think they say she's in stasis or something to that effect. Yes. One thing, um, one thing I, I thought would be fun to note is that, uh, do you remember when they figured out that there was like some weird epidemic and Dr. Crusher was like, call in Dr. So-and-so and Dr. So-and-so and Dr. Salar. Did you notice uh, that? I didn't notice that. Yes. <laughs> okay. Bob Sacramento of Star Trek has He's made back. another and has made another. Um, what's the word when it, you hear their name but you don't see them? Yeah, appearance? Like a, a ghost appearance or something. <laughs> I didn't I mean, think I, of that. I, I wish I had. Yeah, I noted. I wrote that down as soon as I heard that, just because we Doctor uh, Solar made their own her only in person appearance in uh, episode uh, what one of uh, Random Trek Review. I suppose it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. We'll keep a counter going. Yeah, how many times? How many times do we hear but not see Doctor Solar? Yeah, that's kind of like the little things that you don't really necessarily pick up on anymore. Now the uh, the little nuances and the little kind of uh, Easter eggs and stuff like that they batter you over the head with it, right? Um, I saw that new Harry Potter movie where they go uh, it's the Crimes of Grindelwald and they go to Hogwarts and stuff, and it's like so like don't 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 on the head. That's more the subtle kind of stuff I like, where it's a little bit more like just. Very subtly thrown in. Yeah, she like named off like two doctors and then Dr. Solar was the third. It's just like they just slip it in there unsuspectingly. Exactly. And so we start to see a little bit of um, a little bit of the hints of things kind of going wrong. Um, Deanna's on the bridge. This is like, I think one of her first like command shifts. This is late season seven. So I I think think it was the first. Oh, could be the first. That we we see. That we see her, right? And, of course, she's fiddling with the temperature, right? And then she's bickering with warp. And so we start to see some of these little things. Um, it's kind of hard for you to go back now, but are these just subtle enough, way too obvious, or just right? Well, there, the other scene where you kind of see things is that... There, remember that scene in engineering where 
Jordy and Barkley are trying to explain this problem to Riker, and Barkley's talking like a mile a minute. Yes. And and Riker's like, hold on, hold on, hold on, slow down. What 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 were you saying? And he's right. like he like he's having trouble like focusing and understanding what they're yeah. saying. So that's another. Um, I thought the subtlety was was pretty good. Um, you're kind of like at first it's like, why is Barkley talking so fast, and why is Riker having such a hard time understanding? And then it right. kind of escalates. It's almost like um, I mean, we were ta- in a couple episodes ago. We were talking about Ashes to Ashes and how it was sort of her inability to fit in was sort of gradually got worse and worse as the episode was on. I feel like this is kind of similar in that it, 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 at first you're kind of like, okay, that's weird. And then it, you know things keep happening to other people, and and I thought it was pretty pretty well done. Well, it, it, it's like a horror movie, right? You show up at the cab, and the door's not locked for some reason. Well, that's strange, but it's kind of like a small thing. It's not like a really big thing. And then you go in, and you're expecting your friend to already be there, but they're not there. And it's like it's just a small thing, but it's kind of strange. And their car is in the parking lot. Well, maybe they went down to the water or whatever the case may be. But all this, it's the small things kind of adding up. And yep. you don't, it's kind of, you don't notice it right away. But then as they start to add up, you go, maybe there is something wrong here. And I thought that they did a really good job with it. I think that um, because it's TV and because it's such a short period of time, they really only got this little chunk in the middle to, to really do it, to yep. set it up. And so I think they kind of did a good idea, especially since we get to see all the payoffs, right? We see Deanna, we see Riker, we see Worf, we see all the payoffs of what they end up becoming. And then when we think back, it did make sense, right? Yes. Yeah. For sure. So I thought that was really good. So, I, you know, we might as well just jump straight ahead. We'll go to Act 3 when uh, Picard and Data uh, are on their way back. They're not at the rendezvous point. They're not at the coordinates. They find the ship and the ship is adrift, which is one of my favorite things. Because in sailing terms, right, when you lose the sail or you lose the engine or the, the crew is killed, then it goes adrift, right? Like yep. it just drifts in the waves. I love the idea that a spaceship could be adrift, right? With nobody controlling it, nobody running it. It's just, and it's like sideways. There's no direction <laughs> in space, but it's sideways. Yeah, they had to like adjust the, uh, the like axis <laughs> yeah. of the shuttle in order to dock it. Exactly. It was like... It's all crooked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um... So this is good. I like this. And I, I like that uh, as soon as they come back on the ship, it really feels like a different ship. It's a, something, this is maybe even a full day between the last time that we saw them and when Picard and Data see them. We kind of know where it's going to go, but I feel like they did a good job setting up. What did you think about when they first arrived? When they first arrived, uh, it was very eerie. Um, like when they like when they exit the shuttle, they there's like cargo containers like upturned and stuff is like dripping on the like from the ceiling and it's dark and uh, they walk out in the corridor. You can hear like animals and stuff. Like, it was really <laughs> they find the snake skin uh, sheddings. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Like it was just it, it was really eerie and very very strange uh, the way that I really like what they did with like the lighting and the sets because uh, like it just felt like. It just felt really eerie and really scary. Yeah, and of course the lights are all down. Uh, they stumble into Deanna's quarters, and this is kind of the the big reveal, right? That this is going to this is what's happening because they see her face down. But then as they kind of go to revive her, she's got the gill developments. She's kind of like more green. Um, it appears that she can like breathe underwater as you well. You notice her, her eyes? 
her eyes are also like yeah, yeah they change then i think data even mentions there's some sort of like semi-seal uh like you know how um frogs and stuff like that will have two sets of eyelids and he mentions that as well yes um what did you think of um this reveal and was it ever mentioned before that betazoids kind of came from water-based kind of creatures or that's just kind of whatever there was no not no mention that I can recall of Betazoids evolving from like a, like amphibians or anything. But I mean, I imagine it would be a similar thing to like Barkley turning into a spider, right. right? It's probably just some creature, some animal that's native to to Betazed. Okay, that makes sense. That would be my interpretation. Right, and I feel like it's with the with people that are not human. I feel like it makes a lot of sense, right? Because you don't know what their evolutionary history would be. So, okay, they came from some sort of water thing. That makes sense. Yeah. I thought the like having one of the crew turn into like an amphibian was kind of interesting and in how she was like like they walk in and she's like face down in the in the bathtub. Right. Breathing breathing through her gills. It was kind of a weird thing. And then as soon as they leave her, she like goes <laughs> back <face laughs> down. Yeah. It was just kind of an odd thing to see true so they decide to go to the bridge which i guess maybe was their original destination anyway i don't really get why they went into deanna's quarters um that didn't really make a whole lot of sense right you know to me either like if you even if yeah in a massive spot like that why would you just go to one random person's quarters it makes no sense but whatever they like just walk by and they're like what's going on in here right like, yeah like that yeah. seems like it would be the least likely place to go in uh but they do go to the bridge next which is smart uh ensign Dern has been killed um of course he's kind of like the red shirt want to call him i guess he was wearing a red shirt so he's like the uh, <laughs> man to the fodder and poor, then poor guy he looked like he got shredded pretty good yeah like, totally. that was that's pretty like that was pretty gruesome for for star trek at that time yeah and this is one of the problems with these kind of horror episodes like quote unquote is that you know whatever like let's say that was Worf. Who, like killed that guy it probably was and so then when he goes back to being wharf and he shows up at work on tuesday and is like hey where's ensign Dern at and they go oh you killed him remember you slashed his chest open and like yeah. brutally murdered him <laughs> oops sorry you have to let that go right uh, he wasn't in his right state of mind so they go he did, he did spit venom in, in the doctor's face and, and on the captain True. So, true. He was spewing venom, so that's he wasn't himself. Hey, this is Matt, and you are listening to Random Trek Review. To get the latest podcasts and to read the RTR blog, visit our website at randomtrekreview.blogspot.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for Random Trek Review. You can find us on social media: uh, Twitter at Rando Trek Review. And on Instagram at Random Trek Review. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, and prefer old school email, feel free to drop us a line at randomtrekreview at gmail.com. Now back to the show. Uh, in the ready room, we run into our next kind of creature, which was, I guess, proto human, caveman. Right? He was like Cro Magnon or, or something. Okay, and he's trying to eat Livingston, which I love. This takes me back to a question you asked me after we turned the microphone off last week. You asked me if Livingston devolved. And he did. He did. 
You are right. You did. into a jellyfish for some reason. Yeah, so. you can. You can. There, there. It's very brief, but you can pretty clearly see, like, if you freeze it at the right time, like you right. can see that there is a jellyfish in that thing instead right. of the uh, lionfish. Yeah, which is pretty cool, and I like the idea that the devolved Riker is going to eat him. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty pretty funny. Like he's like trying to pry the glass thing open to yeah, to, yeah. <laughs> no I like that and I also like did you jump when he jumps up on the table and like goes for like the tackle on the card and starts throwing like the computer terminal at him yeah. and all the other yeah that was that was pretty scary because you're you're not really expecting that because at that point you don't really know you're still kind of you still don't fully know what's going on True. and you don't really know how Riker's going to react as a, as a like Cro-Magnon yeah, you don't yeah. know if he's going to be aggressive or if he's just going to sort of, you know, back off or, or you know, be act civil. Yeah, and I like that it's kind of the first jump scare when he jumps over the desk at him or jumps off the desk at him. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the old tricorder can immediately discern that he is devolved. Um, they talk about the synthetic T-cells and the genetic code going back to, like, latent introns. Just sounds like a lot of biology terms that kind of maybe kind of makes sense based on what you were saying about some people not liking this episode i'm assuming it's totally bogus well that would yeah i would tend to agree like i don't think you can devolve and i don't think there's anything that could potentially happen in terms of um this actually kind of happening but it is kind of a cool idea like a virus that turns you into an animal it's kind of neat i like yeah, it it works so um the other thing that i guess is a little bit and this is maybe the only real problem I have with the episode is, is that the main computer seems to be down, but then Data's computer is like the only computer on the ship that's not connected to the other systems. Yes. So then they're going to go to Data's place to check his computer. Does that make any sense? Or is this just like connecting the dots at this point? Does it make sense for Data's computer to have its own like power systems? Um, that seems a little strange. To me, um, I, I don't know why they would do that. I don't get it. I, well, no, they, well, the reason why they would do that is because they need to go to Data's place to see that the cat is giving kittens so that they know that it doesn't affect newborn things so they can go to Nurse Agawa and get the amniotic yeah. fluid so that they can then create a cure. Like, this is connect the dots, right? Yeah, they do need an excuse to go to Data's quarters, I guess. So. And they also kind of have another little, like, kind of detour here when they realize that the uh, the warp core has kind of, like, become destabilized or it's, it's, it's damaged or what have you. This leads to probably the most famous piece of the episode, I would think which is that Barclay has now turned into a spire, um, or at least partially, spaces. Yep. Um, and they, actually, I feel like, wasn't there an episode not that long before this episode where Barclay actually said he doesn't mind spiders? Remember when he was afraid mm. of the transporters? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's, um, at the end of the episode, O'Brien, like, shows him his pet tarantula and He's like, oh, I don't mind spiders. And then, like, right. crawls up to him and, like, touches his arm. And he's like, oh, jeez. <laughs> so now he's turned into a spider. And he seems kind of more cognizant of it. Like, he seems like he's actually kind of terrified. <laughs> and that was another good jump scare. It was well, another was, good one. Yeah, that was probably the best one of the episode. And so then the other person that's up in the, like, the Jeffrey's tubes, is that LaForge? We don't really see LaForge. Forge after that trip in the Jeffreys tube. But he was up there. He's wearing a yellow suit. He's like a monster. No, I... Uh, oh, you mean... I don't know. I didn't really know. 
Artemis. You know the person who's chasing Picard in the Jeffrey's tube, though. So. Well, that was Worf. That was still Worf from before? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I thought it was two different people, maybe. Yeah, no, that was... that was. I think that was still Worf. Oh, okay. So they find Worf in the sick bay, though. And so, yeah, we didn't actually talk about this yet, but maybe we should. So this is kind of in that weird gray area where Worf and Deanna are dating? Well... Courting? Maybe. Flirting? Your, your guess is as good as mine. I, I still don't know. What well, to no, there is most certainly an episode where they are together, but then it turns out that it was like an alternate timeline or it goes back mm-hmm. in time and reverses it, correct? Yep. yep. Right, where they're married and all the rest of it? It's parallels. Right, parallels, where they have a parallel universe where they're together. But then in that theory, there's a parallel universe where Worf and Picard are together too, right? Because the whole theory behind that episode <laughs> is there's a, every possible combination. Yes, that's right. Okay? Yeah. But anyway, they are. There, we didn't really talk about this whole idea that like, Worf is having dinner with uh, Deanna. He's having like the big medieval style turkey leg, and he's got all. It's like, it looked like an octopus. Right. Yeah. He's just going ham on the replicator food, right? <laughs> and uh, then he later goes on to kind of bite Deanna before she kind of fully forms yep. in some sort of like mate mating ritual foreplay kind of thing. Um, yeah. Talk to me about that. What did you think about? Uh, this piece of the story well i i I don't really it was it was okay it sort of fit into the story because they sort of needed that clue later on to figure out what like Worf was doing and so how and how they could like lure him away from sickbay while data figured out how to cure everybody right so i don't know I, i didn't think it was terrible the relationship between Deanna and Worf, or just this episode? Well, just in this episode. Right. I mean, as far as the relationship, I don't know. It's, it's, it's fine. I don't really see, I don't really see a problem with it. It's not like Kira Odo? <laughs> well, I mean, it lasted to, like, what, all good things, and then that was the end of it, as far as we can tell? Yeah, but I kind of liked that in a way, because it was probably more realistic in terms of, like, what life on a ship would be like that in a very progressive future time. Where people would be kind of dating, and then maybe we'd get together for a little bit, and then they'd break up, right? And yeah. then it would never really turn into much. Uh, especially since, like, these are people who have such high profile, such busy lives. That's probably the way that it would go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I didn't like that. Uh, I mean, the end of this episode, kind of like what I was mentioning at the beginning, it just... There's kind of a big uh, horror-esque chase, and, you know, Worf's trying to get them, and they're trying to beat the clock. They even mentioned that, like, Picard has now been infected, and he's going to turn into, is it a marsupial or a yeah, lemur like a, kind like of Yeah, like thing? a lemur, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they're, it's really up against the clock. They determine that, you know, they can use the, the fluid from an unborn child to create an antibody. And then we pretty much wrap up, and we're back to normal, almost in, like, the blink of an eye. Uh, what did you think about the end of this episode? Uh, I thought it was okay. I thought it was pretty, like, it was pretty good overall. Like, the, I, I kind of liked the, the the whole thought of, like, Worf breaking through the door to get to Troy and then, then like, like devising that method to lure him away. And then the sort of, ch- I, I, I feel like the chase might have been a little better if it wasn't, like, in the tiny little Jeffrey's tubes. True. Like, I, I feel like they, they do that too often. Like, oh, let's chase a guy around through the Jeffries tubes. Like, wouldn't it be a little more dramatic, maybe, or better if they were just, like, running? Well, I mean, this is, like, it's, I just, 
Yeah. I feel like it's like, oh, the chase is on. Better jump in the Jeffries tube. True. Crawl is... along at like you know half the normal speed. And this is from a famous movie, right? Isn't this from like Alien? I want to say. Uh, probably. I think so. And maybe Die Hard. He goes in the things, right? The ducks. The ducks. Yeah. Have a few laughs. Because I always there's that famous Simpsons episode. Remember where the dog gets in and they grease up Willie. <laughs> So, okay. yeah, I, you know what, I feel like it maybe would be better as a chase, but I guess maybe Worf, pre-evolved Worf would just run you down. Maybe, yeah, maybe. 65-year-old Picard, like, he's got no chance. Yeah, but he's turning into a lemur. He might have been a little <laughs> he more, could jump. Can more you, Oh, man, can you imagine how bad that would have been? <laughs> that would have been, like... He him to the Arboretum, he's, like, jumping in on the trees, trees and Oh, vines man. And <laughs> That's like Star Wars Episode Two. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. So, yeah, but we, I, well, I mean, I, I thought it was kind of ingenious though how he like sort of lured him into that spot and he like stood on top of the panel like to insulate himself when he just like electrocuted him. <laughs> yeah. Like I thought that was pretty. See, that's kind of why I thought it wasn't warp because like didn't that kill him? You well, he's like this crazy strong, Super strong. like proto Klingon. So I yeah. guess I don't know. You, I almost feel like he was kind of like a dinosaur. <laughs> Maybe. Like, he's all hard and he has a, like a Klingonosaurus. Yeah, okay. <laughs> sure. But I thought that was like a good way to end it because how else is like Picard going to subdue this? Like, yeah, no, it wasn't bad. It was like Odd Job and Goldfinger, right? That's right, yes. Yeah, Very so. good. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I liked all this stuff, but it was just a little, it was a little convenient at the end when they show up and they kind of do the after school special kind of thing where, uh, you know, Dr. Crusher says that they're going to name it after Barclay. Barclay's protomorphosis syndrome. And then Troy kind of puts her hands on her hips and says, better clear my calendar. Yeah. And it's like, ding, 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 ding. Like, they might as well have a freeze frame kind of thing. Uh, what did you think of the end? <laughs> uh, the very end, I thought was, uh, I don't know. I thought it was kind of funny that Dr. Crusher's, like, treatment of Barclay's, like, illness was the cause of it. I don't know. I yeah. It's kind, kind of, of interesting. funny, but. Yep. Uh, I don't know. It was okay, I guess. I mean, this is not how you name diseases, but that's right. Typically, it's the person who like cures the disease, not the person, or for, finds it, not the first patient. It's usually, it's hard to find patient zero. But um, yeah, I feel like it was. Uh, I feel like it was a little bit of a rushed finish. Rushed beginning, rushed finish. Really good in the middle. That's my kind of final take on it. But we can get to that in a second. Alright, so despite the fact that we get so many kind of crazy monsters and, and transformations and stuff, not a ton of different cast of characters here. We got Barclay, we got Nursegawa, and I even threw Spot in there because I don't know if we've really talked about Spot a whole ton yet, but we will. So um, let's do Barclay first. This is actually uh, Dwight Schultz's last appearance on The Next Generation TV. He'll show back up again in First contact, right? Yep. Um, and he'll show back up again in Voyager. Yep. Uh, but uh, this is his last TNG run. Um, just give me kind of a brief synopsis on Barclay as a character. Did they overuse him, underuse him? Uh, would you rather he be kind of more like a Andrew Robinson kind of character or like a Whoopi Goldberg kind of thing where he shows up like way more frequently? Or is this just right? You tell me. Uh, I think I, I don't think they really, I don't I don't think they overused him. Uh, certainly, I, I, I mean he's in what like maybe six seven episodes of Next Generation. Yeah, I, probably I think. not. 
Um, I mean, he was an interesting character, for, which we already kind of talked about because he's a little, he sort of breaks the mold in the sense that he's not super confident. He's not tough. He, you know, he's, he's sort of this anxious, bumbling um, guy, but he's actually also really smart and he's competent as an engineer. He just, you know, doesn't interact well with people. Um, and he, I mean, he kind of grows a little bit over the course of the series. I mean, he, he's not... He's not as bad at the end as he was at the beginning. You know, he wasn't like running all these crazy holodeck programs to try to <laughs> sleep with the senior staff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, I think maybe he could have been used a little bit more. Um, yeah. Because I think his first appearance was the fourth season. Yeah. I think so. You know, basically over the course of four seasons, they used him like half a dozen times. So yeah. maybe they could have used him a little more, but. Uh, I think he's kind of an interesting character just because he's so different from your typical Star Trek uh, yep. character. And I kind of feel like, too, with Barclay, it's they have such a big cast, right? Like, they have such a big number of people that they need to get through just in the main cast. Then you throw in Guinan, and you throw in Denise Crosby at the beginning and stuff, and all of a sudden, like, you can't really have a lot of side characters that you're going to devote a lot of time to. So I think they used him just enough. And I feel like the reason why he's so special is because they didn't burn it out. That's probably true, yeah. And I mean, even in this episode, it's a pretty small role. Yeah, but it's memorable. Right? Memorable, because, exactly. Because like, the, like, one scene that I will always remember from this episode is that one in engineering where he's talking like a mile a minute. Yeah. It's like it's so un, unlike him. Yep. Oh, definitely. But so, so it sticks out. Yeah, no, no, I think that uh, that's me. And I don't really know the situation, so... Um, I mean, was he originally planned to even be a, more than a one-off character, right? Or did he just kind of win audiences over and they decided to use him again? And if he did, good for him because he kind of turned into a nice little, a nice little run on Star Trek. I think he's, he's uh, he'll be a, he'll be Reginald Barkley for forever. Yeah, exactly. He can go to cons and yeah. book signings and autograph signings forever. Yep. Uh, all right. Up next is Nurse Agawa, which is. Um, I don't know how often we see her. She kind of is an interesting character because she shows up kind of in the background, but then like lower decks, she was a little more important. Um, it's kind of just used as needed kind of thing. What's your thoughts on Nurse Agawa? Uh, I feel like she was a pretty like cookie cutter character, like until lower decks. Right. Um, she didn't really do anything of note other than like hand doctor crusher hypo sprays during surgery. Yeah. Um, but Lower Decks, she was a huge part of that episode, and I think that's where her character started to get a little more interesting. Yeah. Um, otherwise, like uh, prior to that, I would say that she was not all that interesting at all. She was just like the doctor's, uh, you know, surgery assistant. Which <laughs> I mean, don't we need that? You do, but uh, I don't know. They could have done something with her. There actually is a nice little tie-in here where um, Dr. Crusher in Lower Decks mentions that, you know, she'll be promoted soon, and then in this episode, they kind of try to make a bit more of a closer relationship where she tells them that that she's pregnant. That's obviously yeah. a huge thing for somebody who's pregnant. But also, uh, Dr. Crusher mentions her by her first name, Alyssa, which I thought was kind of a nice little, nice little kind of storyline continuity thing that was going along, right? Yeah, yeah, not so, bad. thought that was cool. Um, and then, and I guess, is she kind of supposed to be the Nurse Chapel-ish? Uh, maybe. Maybe, I guess. 
All right, the last character, which I know is your, probably your favorite because of your love of cats, Spot. <laughs> I don't really say I love cats. Um, <laughs> Spot, Spot's kind of a weird, like, like it's kind of interesting that Data had a pet on the show. I mean, I, I think it sort of shows that he's sort of trying to become more human, so he, uh-huh. you know, he has a cat. Um, I don't mind cats. Yeah, I'm, kind of I'm, I'm not really allowed with cats. What's your, who is, what is your favorite Star Trek familiar? What, what do you mean? Like the like animal that they have. Because you've got Spot and you've got like Porthos. Is there any other ones that I, I thought Porthos of? was dumb. <laughs> well, we haven't, hit Enterprise, we haven't hit Enterprise yet, but like, is there any other characters who own pets? Uh, the captain in Star Trek Three had that like weird Klingon like dog looking thing. Yeah, that's true. That thing was pretty. It like it was pretty badass looking. True. I, I feel like they. Is there nobody else that had any pets? I don't think so. Okay, pets are not really that common in the in the future, perhaps. Worf had a pet Targ when he was a child. But... <laughs> that is true too. Um, you know what? Spot was kind of used uh, sparingly as well. I think that um, Data, or not Data, but Brent Spiner actually said that he hated working with the cat. Like he said <laughs> that in uh, lots of different uh, interviews and cons and stuff like that, that he hated the cat. And um, it was just a kind of an interesting plot device. Did you think it was well used here, or did you think the iguana thing was kind of dumb? Um, I thought it was okay. Yeah, just kind of. Did. I thought it was more funny than anything. But like this, like the cat devolved into a equal like lizard. Yeah, yeah. I, was I thought it was kind of funny. Um, I guess in terms of production notes and things like that, we we mostly touched on all the big ones. I kind of uh, got ahead of myself in a lot of those cases. Um, was there any other little pieces that you were um, kind of interested in talking about or no? The, the only real sort of production I mean, it's not even really a production thing. I mean, we already talked about that. It's a very, it seems to be a very polarizing episode amongst fans. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely. Now there was, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There was 10 different transformations that you see on, uh, on screen, or at least are mentioned to it. Can you name them? Uh, Worf turned into Proto-Klingon, Troy turned into the Reptilian, Barkley turned into the Spider, uh, Riker turned into Cro-Magnon, Spot turned into the Lizard, Livingston turned into a Jellyfish, Ogawa turned into like a sort of a primate looking yeah, well thing. Done. Oh, that's seven. There's ten? There's apparently ten. Huh. No, I think that's all I can... Well, I mean, Picard would have turned yeah, into a lemur. Okay, yeah, that counts. All right. Jeez, um, what else? One is really tough to get. Think about when they oh, first Bar- show up. Barkley turned into the... Did I mention the spider? Yeah, Barkley, yeah. Well, someone turned into a reptilian. Yeah, a snake point. at some point. And the only one else that's kind of a bit of a cheese one is that they said that Dern had begun to evolve, but then he was killed. Oh. So that's a bit cheesy. Oh. But well done. Good memory. Um... Yeah, I don't really have uh, any more little production things. What were kind of your, uh, you have a memorable scene or a quote that you like? Um, the one, when, when I was a kid, there was the one thing that absolutely scared the hell out of me and like gave me nightmares was when Worf spit the venom in Dr. Crusher's face. Yeah. That, I, like, I, I, for, like, I was probably 11 or 12 when this episode first came out and I would, like, for, 
probably 10 years, I refused to watch it. Really? That good, eh? Yeah, like it scared me that much um, when I was a kid. And um, there was another line that, oh, when, um, <laughs> when, when David tells Picard that he's going to devolve into a lemur, he said something along the lines of, um, well, before I start swinging around the ship looking for <laughs> breakfast, maybe we should figure out what to do about right. this. Yeah, and that's kind of what I mean when I say, like, in the, like nowadays people would panic if they told you you're devolving, but in that time, it's like, we got to buckle down, we got to do this, right? <laughs> Which is a different kind of scenario. Yeah, um, I'd say that my favorite scene is probably that eating scene with Worf where they're kind of having the big buffet and he has the line, do not approach me unannounced, especially when I'm eating. <laughs> yeah, that's, I always yeah, that's like good. that one. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I guess there is nothing left to do other than to give our final thoughts. We've talked about our memorable scenes, we've talked about our quotes, we've pretty much put a big old bow on this one. Um, what is your final thoughts first off, but then also give me a rating out of five shrinking um, like I said off the top, like I really liked this episode. Um, when I was young, it scared the you know what out of me. I was I I no I I think as far as like Star Trek horror, this is sort of the 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 bar. Um, I, I thought it was really good. Um, yeah, there, there you know the science maybe doesn't quite add up, but um, I'm not a biologist and I'm not a geneticist, so I don't really care. Um, so I really liked it. Um, I, I would probably be inclined to give this one, um, five shrinking capillaries. Wow, out of five. well done. Yeah, I just, I, I just really liked it. When you pulled this one out, when I pulled this one out of the, uh, the hat last week, I was pretty excited that I got to, that I got to watch it again. Nice. So, um, yeah, I'm going to go five out of five. Well done. All right. Um, I actually am a biology person. I have a minor in biology. It didn't really bother me to be honest with you because I never really liked those evolution courses. Um, that much so I don't really care that much about it um, I think that there's a little bit of uh, plot convenience at the beginning in terms of setting it up and I feel like it wrapped up a little bit too quickly but that being said it is about as good of a horror episode of Star Trek as we've ever seen um, I think that it is you have to give it a little bit of grace just because it's hard to do horror in a sci-fi environment and you have to have some conceits right like even horror movies you have to kind of you have to believe like, oh yes, they actually would trip and fall right at the worst possible time. And you know, they wouldn't just run next door and follow the police and all those little things. So I will give it those conceits. Um, I don't know if I'm at five out of five, as you know, I like to keep my fives out of fives, you know, as sacred, sacred, sacred for only the top, top, top episode. So I'm going to go four out of five shrinking capillaries, uh, for TNG Genesis. All right, folks, we've hit the end of the show, the most stressful and worrisome part of the show for whoever is happy to come up with some of this, uh, these answers, these recalls. Um, it's Matt's turn this week, so I am cool as a cucumber. Uh, if you want to play along at home, of course, grab yourself a pad of paper or pencil. You're looking to try to get as many quotes and Plot, plot lines, A plot lines, B plot line, guest stars, whatever. You can give yourself a score of five next week when we go to review it. Um, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. okay. I've got the uh, sand timer of 60 seconds on the clock. 
And I have just reaching into the toque. It's kind of a wintry, chilly night here uh, in Canada. A couple of uh, Canadian boys. So a toque is uh, obviously fitting for our uh, episodes to be in. I'm just going to dig around here. I feel like I'm going to get embarrassed this week, but um, let's go. Oh, good confidence, good confidence. All right, it is another Next Generation episode. Okay, I feel it's better on that. Another Next Generation episode. It is maybe the most like convenient uh, episode to follow this one that we could have possibly picked. It is just so, uh, so fitting. Oh. So it is season three. It's episode one. It is called Evolution. <laughs> <laughs> what are the odds of that? It's weird how some of our episodes, like remember we were talking about the Tholian web and the, the phasing and then the next, the next one was the next, the next phase. phase. Yeah. So this is all about devolving and now this is going to be the next generation evolution. I'm going to let Matt just take a second right now to write down his thoughts um, collect some of his ideas there. Uh, like I mentioned, if you want to play along, you should try to do the same. You should uh, grab yourself a pen and paper and write down as much as you want. You can pause it, of course. Uh, are you ready? I believe I'm ready, yes. Okay, well, 60 seconds and go. All right, uh, in this episode, uh, there's a scientist who I believe is named like Dr. Stubbs, and he comes on board the Enterprise uh, testing out these like micro machines called nanites and things go wrong the nanites like escape from the lab and they like sort of evolve this like intelligence and they look they're like ravaging through the ship causing all these problems like with the replicators and, and everything and uh eventually i think they figure out a way to communicate with them and um they come to this like uh, agreement that the the nanites will stop like ravaging the ship and they'll like find a home for them, uh, something along those lines. Uh, as far as like quotes, I know this is like a very data heavy episode. Okay. Um, I, I think that's about all I got. Uh, yeah. And that's time anyway. So I think that you're pretty close there. Um, just as you were kind of talking about that, I realized um, how close that is. Remember that episode, the, the, the exocomps? Um, yes. Right? Wasn't that kind of the same idea? The exocomps became like sentient and started evolving? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They sort of, they, they, they became more than just like programmed machines to be used as tools. Right. And there's like this moral dilemma of like, should we... Should we be using them to, should, should we be sending them to their death in order to save To our save own us, yeah. right. Yeah. I feel like it, with this one, and I'm just kind of going off memory, I feel like Wesley was in this one and he was kind of working with the scientist or he ends up saving it. I can't Wesley remember. Wesley definitely would have been in it. Right? Yeah. It's season three and yeah. early yeah. on. It's kind of crazy now to think that that was the first episode. Yeah, I'm season sorry. three, right? Because yeah, this is before the, the big cliffhangers, right? The cliffhanger doesn't come until. Well, the cliffhanger was Shades of Grey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait till we pull that one out. Oh, I can't um, wait. Yeah, that could be a good one. <laughs> All right, folks, that is going to be it for us this week on Random Trek Review. Uh, so make sure at some point over the next little bit you, uh, you know, load up evolution so you can watch along with us see how you did and you can join us next time when we evolve via evolution
Check out the nanites, they're fun.